Um, welcome and happy new year. Um, this is Discursion, the podcast where we discuss newly released and restored films on Blu-ray and DVD. Um, we're at episode 11 and today we'll be talking about Chang Dong Lee's Burning. Um, but before that, I should say, my name is Stephen Roberts. Hello. And I'm Dominic Lash. Hello. What did you make of this film? I mean, it's it's, it's from a couple of years ago now. I think we we saw it in the cinema together, perhaps. My memory doesn't serve me. I will confess to having forgotten that, but I remember seeing it in the cinema. Yeah, I'm afraid a, your your presence didn't clearly make as strong an you impression. No, I as recall the film. Um, it understandably being a sold out um, screening at the watershed in Bristol. So it's possible that we didn't get to sit next to one another, and I had to sit on my own. Um, such was the popularity of the film at the time, and I think it's done done fairly well, um, you know, awards wise as well. And um, as a I mean, Korean film, it's done really well. It got shortlisted for the Oscars. I think it was the first Korean film to reach that final shortlisting phase. At least I think that's right. Tells me, but it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Thinking about it now um, in the wake of Parasite, because it um, yeah was talked about at the time as being yes a Korean film that was having some impact in the West and like you say, at least being nominated for um, Oscars but not winning. But um, after Parasite, it, it it all you know looks rather different. But um, I don't know. Perhaps the success of Parasite will encourage some people to look back and recheck out this film as well, particularly if it's on if it's on DVD now. Yeah, I think that's really um, useful point because watching the film again after seeing Parasite, I'm noticing similar themes and um, you know issues of class. And um, it, it's not entirely astonishing that it was Parasite that made the breakthrough. Um, I mean, this film seems to fit more neatly into um, certain tropes of what is known as art cinema. You know, whether it's seen as that in Korea, I, I have no idea what sort of how are those categories um, that they have their map onto our, our categories in, in the UK or in or in America. Um it doesn't by any means seem sort of inevitable that Parasite was going to have the success, which I'm very, you know, happy that it did. And I think it was very, very well deserved. But would that be fair to say that if you were told of these two films, one of them is going to do what the, what they call breaking through or that you probably would have not picked Burning? Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's something to do with the length of the film, perhaps, and and the pacing of the film, which we can perhaps talk about is is less um oscar baity hmm. <laughs> um and perhaps there's more of a sense of um there are there are sort of clear moments of suspense or sort of moments of spectacle if you like in um there are moments in parasite which um could could easily gain traction through word of mouth as well and they would be hotly discussed and after, whereas I think that burning and you know, in terms of its reception, uh, you have to offer more of a kind of analysis, a kind of querying as to what is the mystery at the center of the film. It feels like yes. a film with some intentional holes in it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think it's really quite interesting because it is, I hadn't 
really thought about it until right now. But yes, if you wanted to make a list of uh, points of similarity or resonance between the two, yeah, you can make quite a long list and you've already started that list. And yeah, absolute things to do with with mystery and um, a certain kind of twistiness. Um, But if you're... would would be a, you know a reductive thing to do but for, for the for the sake of having some comparisons um you know i, I think people talked to, uh, about parasite in relation to hitchcock um quite extensively i seem to remember whereas i think the name you'd leap or i would um leap for with burning not that it has no hitchcockian i think you certainly be quite interesting to explore but i'd think more about someone like antonioni <laughs> Uh, yeah. sort of sooner I think right it has has mysteries and it has twists and it has but it doesn't um uh you know serve up the solutions to them in the way that Parasite does which I I, I don't say that to um to the detriment of Parasite but those those theorists who theorize um the art film is having a certain kind of ambiguity for its own sake or a or a um a willingness to remain inconclusive even when the credits are rolling um would have an easier time fitting burning into that into that pigeonhole yeah absolutely and you mentioned a few directors names there i think director bong is a different figure to chang dong lee in the sense that um chang dong lee hasn't really got so much of a track record with making hollywood action films you know or you mm. know more westernized kind of kind of films um and probably fits more readily into that kind of art cinema um category i've not seen lots of his films i saw oasis um it was 2002 romance mm. which is very unconventional you know romance film about a woman with cerebral palsy who falls in love with a recent uh, well, an ex-con. <laughs> um, not not the kind of conventional fare you'd expect. Right, is it? Yeah, because I, I think this is the only of his... I think Burning is the only of his films I've seen, so you have more context than I have. Yeah, perhaps. Um, well, also worth saying, you know, making those comparisons with, with Parasite, that there are some limits to seeing these films in their national context, you know, of course, because Burning is adapted from a Japanese short story so there's a it already has a bit of an international kind of vibe to it so we're not saying this is purely a product of kind of Korean a Korean cinema kind of you know uh, a revolution or something something like that well and and one of its stars uh, you'll you'll know much more about this than I do because because you're an aficionado but like one of its stars is a big thing in The Walking Dead right Steve Yoon is uh yeah he he plays a more likable character um, in The Walking Dead for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the one of the heroes of that uh, series, Glenry, um, and is kind of is a timid figure and goes through a character arc of becoming stronger and stronger. Whereas, <laughs> you know, is the closest thing to an antagonist. Although I suppose the main character Lee Jong Soo has his has his has his uh, flaws as well, as we find out at the yeah. end of the film. Yeah, yeah. He yes, he may or may not be a villain. Uh, ben, yeah, the um, uh, Stephen Young's character, but he's sort sort of set up as one. At least he's seen as one of other protagonists. We should probably say something quickly about 
we've been skirting around the film somewhat abstractly we should we should give a quick or attempt a quick uh, summary shouldn't we yeah of course there's there's a sense of excitement around kind of what actually happens in the film maybe we're being a bit coy and and not really taking the plunge um so uh begins as a kind of love story i mean there's a kind of high school reunion almost between the two main characters lee jong su and um shin haimi um they meet on a, on a on the side of a street in seoul and she says oh you know don't you remember me we went to school together you said i was ugly and then you know flirts with him and they end up sleeping together however she quickly leaves for north africa on a trip that she's been saving for um she's not at all a wealthy individual which is an important point to make she's very much dependent on kind of ad hoc work it seems um and during that time that she's away in north africa lee jong su starts to yeah pine for her visits mm-hmm. her flat to feed the mystery cat um that he's the, been charged apparently with after invisible cat apparently or potentially cat non-existent Boyle, cat <laughs> who is is it fair to say he's a MacGuffin? i don't know but he's an important kind of plot element um an important absence in the film yeah yeah and then uh where was i Oh, Jaime returns from North Africa with a new boyfriend, Ben, uh, who's the Stephen uh, Yun character, and it, it's it's quite clear that he's quite he's quite a well-to-do, you know, wealthy individual. He's cool. He's older than um, Jaime as well, mm. and he live he lives in Gangnam, right? He does in of, a in a swanky yeah. flat with a private style garage. fame, drives a Porsche, and. I suppose I suppose Jong Su kind of hangs around because mm. you know he's, he's still infatuated with Jaime and gets to know a bit about Ben. At some point, they end up um, hanging out. There's quite a lot to say. Sorry, mm. um, they hang out um, in Jong Su's uh, kind of family farm um, in, in the Paju province. I think that's where it is. It's on the border with um, North Korea. Yeah, there's a point um, made about being able to hear the North Korean propaganda broadcasts in the distance, yeah. which is... Um, at that point, um, yeah, as I say, they're hanging out. And Ben says to jong Su that he has a hobby of burning down barns, which is where mm. we get... Not barns, sorry. Uh, that's the short story in which the, which the, the film is based. Burning down greenhouses. Mm. In the Murakami short story in which this is based, it's a barn, and the story is called mm. Barn Burning. Um, and they're kind of green. I mean, I mean, they are greenhouses. I, I think of greenhouses as having glass, and these seem to be—they're a bit more like a cross between a polytunnel and a, and a greenhouse. The things that we see in the film, aren't they? They have—they have kind of transparent plastic sheeting around a frame. I'm not sure what difference that makes, but it's not—it's not quite the kind of greenhouse that we think of people having in their gardens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, in terms of like, if you want to talk about it, in terms of like rural architecture, it's very different from like kind of glossy surfaces and like hard kind of granite you see in um ben's flat right <laughs> mm, mm. um they look they look like i mean it's practical but they look like giant bin bags basically mm. um this idea of kind of ridding the landscape of these kind of eyesores maybe uh, but of course that you know we can interpret the greenhouse in, in other ways um I, I suppose there's not much to say this is we've reached the kind of a halfway point in the film here now but um things start to spiral quite interestingly yeah, the tones of shifts quite yeah. dramatically, doesn't it? Because um, I think the film evokes really well the kind of obsession with the girlfriend or, you know, uh, some kind of 
you know gives us a sense of his um um you know fixation on her or you know interest in her wherever you want yeah, to definitely. slice it and then yes and then these things happen he finds these he's told these strange things by ben and then um and then Jaime disappears right yeah that's um, the, she's the main absence in the, in the second yeah. half of the film and jong su's mission becomes one you know plotting the coordinates for these greenhouses trying to you know follow ben's hobby uh, yes. as well as um, discovering where Jaime has has got to. Yes, um, and he becomes he becomes convinced that she's been murdered by Ben, um, and yeah, and stop now if you haven't seen the film. But the film concludes eventually with Ben Ben being murdered um, by yes. um, um, yeah by Jong Su um, by Jong Su yeah in the manner that Ben might burn down a greenhouse indeed right i think right. he, he stabs um, him and sets him on fire doesn't he with um, with gasoline um, yes which connects up of course the other the final i think uh, excellent synopsis of it well it's often i mean it is quite a slow film but it is it, it is quite a twisty and, and complicated film yeah and it's got all these stories that characters are told and it's constantly in doubt whether they're whether they're tall tales or or whether they're true or whether they're partially true yeah, there's a whole thing that runs through that um, about um, Hamey being in a well, falling into a well when he's a child and being rescued by Jong Su. And he, after she vanishes, that's one of the other things that he does, isn't it? Is to go and ask everyone if there was a well, and most pe- people tell him no, and that there weren't any wells near where you lived. Um, but his estranged mother says, "Oh yeah, 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 there was a well. I, I don't remember a girl falling into it." So it's constantly. Um, on the on the edge of yeah you're never quite able to relax into complete certainty about how much that you're t- you're told is, is is true or untrue um but the the other important sort of plot um strand is the reason that Jonks is looking after the family farmers because his 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 father's on on trial isn't he for um for assaulting somebody else and is you know known for having a temper um and ends up you know being convicted and arrested at, at the end of the or towards the end of the film so there's also a sense of um you know family characteristics with jong su losing his temper he says he hates his father and he's nothing like him but it's a obvious question about whether he's just kind of replicating what he m- most dislikes about his own father yeah so so an an important thing which is set up very early in in the film as a kind of explicit sort of uh i mean an ob, ob, obvious metaphor which sets itself up as something which is important to think about is when Jaime says to Jong Su she tells him a story about about mime and she mimes what like peeling an orange is that what she does or tangerine a tangerine um and and there's things about whether you um uh it's less that you have to pretend there's an orange there. You have to forget that there isn't an orange there. Um, but this is sort of set up as an important theme. And then, yes, and then it's raised. Um, I mean, Jong-Su himself within the film makes a kind of joke about it when the cat never shows up, right? He sort of says, is the cat, you know, like the tangerine? Like, is is, is there no cat? Um, and you never see the cat, but the cat food gets eaten and... The literature gets used, you know. Um, so that all sort of sets things up as a puzzle. But it, 
occurred to me whether one of the things I wondered what you thought about this, whether one of the things that it's doing is um, to generate that tone, particularly because that's how Jong Su is experiencing things. He thinks he's experiencing he's in the middle of a puzzle. Um, he wants to know, you know, what's happened to Jaime is, is Ben a murderer. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, he wants to solve these problems. But whether the film is whether lots of the things are in fact much closer to what they seem on the surface you know you know maybe it's about this sort of this character experiencing things as, as a mystery and, and maybe lots of it is yeah um it, it is what um, it says on on the tin quite a bit i'd have to say because i think the film does have points to make about the romantic alienated writer maybe mm inquiring into human nature but doing this yep. alone <laughs> apart from other humans and not quite understanding or relating to other humans mm. but doing it very well on the page yes um I mean, maybe is... this has something to do with sort of multiple viewings because the first time you see something which is a mystery you have to see it as a mystery sort of sort of primarily or it's very hard not to but um watching it again you can i i decided i could see it more as sort of you know about mystery which might seem a little bit arch or a bit dry but i don't think it is because it's about um yeah so much about uh, about the character's experience we see a lot of jong su and Jaime and ben but we definitely don't get inside Jaime and ben in the way that we feel we get inside uh, um jong su at least that's my feeling right you know, those those yeah. characters are mysterious uh for him and to him and the film sort of deliberately seems to replicate that experience so maybe the first you know for us as the audience so the first time you watch it you can sort of notice this but there's too much else to be thinking about but i found at least a second time i'm able to um yeah to think about that as something that it's doing yeah definitely and as to the casting it's really interesting i think yeah particularly stephen ewing as ben has this really I think his face is really fascinating because he has this because you clearly are seeing him through Jong Su's eyes to some extent, and he, you know, he can't stand him from the beginning because he's more successful, older, richer, uh, and stolen his girlfriend. So, um, but he has this very sort of open face, which is all, which is also completely disingenuous because he does some things which are quite, and he's, which are you know, obviously designed to wind other people up. Uh, but which he he carries off, you know, with a sort of butter couldn't melt uh, attitude. But also some of the things that he says and the things that, that that he does, perhaps he is he is is being straightforward, you know. And it's it's just that yeah, you know, Jong uh, yeah. Su is assuming that all that that he's such a malevolent force in his life. But there's something about it's the performance, but also I think something particular about his about the actor's face. I think in a way is 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 really excellent for that how he sort of the the very way it seems not to be concealing something um yeah. is is makes him incredibly suspicious uh yeah sure i mean obviously he's very handsome and so um maybe that um uh obviously you know makes makes sense for for a kind of jealousy between between him and jong su um that goes both ways, as it turns out, um, because of the relationship, because of the love triangle with Jaime. Um, there's there's the, the the class difference, I think, is important, I think, because there is a lot of alienation on Jiangsu's part, which makes 
um, in any case would would have made Ben a mystery to him just because mm. of the, the difference in lifestyles and the fact that Ben goes to fancy coffee shops and has this his taste is always being flaunted mm. in, in food mm. or you know in in his friends yes. or his cars you know whatever well, there's also an echo so the things uh, uh, this um sense of jong Su hating his father but then also uh potentially um him you know duplicating his father's temper and those kind of things um he says one of the things that he really hates about ben is that yeah ben doesn't doesn't have to work and um you know appears to just as you say you know wander around and go to go to bars and coffee shops and Admittedly, Ben lives in a much more um, expensive part of Seoul, but we don't see where uh, Jong Su has lived uh, before he goes back to his uh, father's farm, mm. and he appears not to have to work either. <laughs> the only thing he, he he does for the whole—I mean, he sells one cow, but um, he just wanders around for the whole film. So, you know, once again, he's there's the possibility that he's that he's he's hating things that he has has trouble with in himself very true i mean there's there's, there's a slight hint of peril because of course jong is desperately trying to sell this calf you know to, to 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 the to the farmers um but but for sure yeah there's there's a the sense of a kind of pur- purposeful mm. um uh romantic and and then you know the person with very few responsibilities but uh, who yeah. can who can kind of make it work and it has this has this artistic kind of endeavor that he's, he's, he's well yes he wants to, to be a writer it isn't and succeeding then, at writing and so yeah perhaps his and, own and yeah. the the the, the alternate uh, then says that his profession is to is to play you know mm. um mm. which is which is not to create but to meddle with things that already yeah are around you know it's it's me i won't keep referring back to the um murakami um but uh it's worth saying that it's you said steve gun is almost irritating i think he's made more irritating in the film um Mm. than he the character same character in the book in the book the character does does disclose that he's vaguely in the import export business that Mm. he's he at least this is what he says, you know. Um, Steve Yeun says, oh, you wouldn't understand if I told you I just play. Mm, mm. <laughs> I'm just around. <laughs> mm. as, as we've been saying, it's another important thing, and it's a familiar trope which which runs through the film is is Jong Su as the frustrated writer who wants to, well, or at least the, the writer who hasn't yet written anything yet, you know, um, which, of course, um, crops up in all sorts of films. The one that immediately springs to mind, which I'm not sure has much to do with this film, but maybe it does, is um, Orson Welles' Lady from Shanghai, because that's, um, you know, Orson Welles' character Michael talks about, again, he's he's someone who wants to be a novelist, you know. But sort of a different slant, so yeah, so there's echoes that, but a different slant on this. How about, um, right towards the end of the film, um... Jung-soo is sitting in Jaime's apartment and looks out the window and is typing at a, a typewriter, which I believe is the first time we've seen him actually write anything. I mean, we don't we don't see what he writes, but he's we hear him typing, right? Um, and then we cut to Ben in his apartment on... Well, not on his own, with a, 
uh, girlfriend. Um, but you know, uh, um, without Jong Su there, now I haven't gone through and checked, but for most of the film, I think, or at least the feeling is that what we see are the things where where Jong Su is there. You know, right? So we, so that sort of our knowledge is is kind of aligned with his with his knowledge. So what about everything after that typewriter scene being being a short story or a novel that he actually writes in which you know in which case he he never does murder Ben I, I really I think it's very provocative interpretation <laughs> that it was all a dream interpretation. I mean I... but um yeah that maybe this is uh, quite a step change you know for for that character to to actually make that decision that he he is going to murder someone and he's going to, he's going to act mm. for once um, rather than being the kind of quiet spectator. So, mm. yeah, I can, I can see that. I mean, I, I don't quite know how I, yeah, to, to, it, to some extent I want to resist it because I also like this idea of that it's, in a sense, not a puzzle. And uh, those things we were talking about earlier, I like that. And this sort of goes against that because this is a kind of clever, ah, have you, you know, have you, have you spotted that these bits might not be real? Yeah. On the other hand, I think there's there are some interesting consequences if, if you do read read it that way um i think the film gives you opportunities to make mistakes um a lot you know uh, so we, we maybe that maybe it is maybe it is some sort of um clue or maybe it, maybe it's wrong footing as like i'm not sure i mean uh, just worth saying it isn't the first time we see Yongsu writing um, earlier on as an example of that sort of wrong footing we see him typing at his desk in, in oh, medium long shot in and the we think house, oh he's working on his novel and then we go in for a, for a close up and we see actually he's typing a court appeal for his father he's typing a petition you know, yes, for his father excellent. it's quite, an, it's quite mm. a sad image <laughs> the type so, is more of a classic Genius. No, that's very interesting. Yeah, but then we assume that he's writing what we see at that point, even if we don't, you know, go for my oh, and, and then we go into his novel thing. Um, I think we, we probably assume he's whatever he's writing in that later scene is him sort of being a writer. But yes. then again, yeah, perhaps perhaps the earlier example should should lead us to to at least be somewhat wary of that. Yeah, you it's, could be writing it's anything. <laughs> it's difficult to say. I, I also still quite like your idea because I think the typewriter is different to the laptop in terms of its iconography in films. Mm. When you see writers in films, regardless of period, typewriter usually does mean novel or, mm. you know, even just to comically show a failed writer, you know, typing a first line and tearing it up usually means something that is not yeah. procedural, that is, is creative. I mean, I think uh, it would. I mean, if one did yeah, want, want to pursue this in a slightly if that scene of Ben and this woman who we don't really know much about in Ben's apartment uh, with only the two of them there is the first time we've ever, ever seen something without Jong Su, then you know, it's at least a bit more, a bit more evidence. Yeah, indeed. You know, I think that's good because what, what that point does is it transcends the did he or did he not do it kind of question around Ben. Uh, so, that, you know, there are other ways to kind of piece this puzzle together. If mm. we want to call it, call it a puzzle. Mm. Mm. Um, should we watch a sequence? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, we discuss, I suppose we'd call ourselves collectors in some sense. We do, you know, watch, buy and watch lots of DVDs and Blu-rays. 
this this is one out of my collection and I, I chose the sequence this time so I'll introduce it um, it's um, almost an hour into the film and at this point um, Jaime and Ben have returned from North Africa and jong doesn't really know much about Ben um, he's evidently jealous of him and is uh, adjusting to the new fact that as, as Dominic so you know eloquently put it his girlfriend has been stolen <laughs> stolen by this wealthy Steve Young later um, we go to Ben's house where Ben is going to cook pasta um, so he's you know he's, he's got he's got his western name and he's going to cook some western food um, and uh, at, at one point Chong Su asks um, Jaime do you know where the bathroom is and uh, interestingly she doesn't I'm not sure what that says about you know how well she knows Ben um, so she asks, and 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 Jong Su goes to the goes to Lou, and then sees in a cabinet drawer um, a uh, yeah collection of what appears to be women's jewellery, and there's also a little trove of of women's makeup and red lipstick and so on. Again, assuming um, these are you know a number of women, and also that they are women. <laughs> mm. um, we then you know cut back to the go back to the living room and um, seems to be after the meal or near the, near the end of Stephen's cooking session and uh, Jong-Soo and uh, Haimi are out on the balcony talking about, you know, who is this guy? <laughs> You're sleeping with him, I'm kind of jealous of him, but who is he? Um, and Jong-Soo makes the comparison with the Great Gatsby because, you know, he's a mysterious figure with lots of money and, and uh, apparent influence, at least in his immediate social circle. Um, shall we have a watch? Yeah, let's have a watch and then come back. I, d- I dislike Ben still. The bit where he says, um, I see cooking as an offering to the gods, but I eat it myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he's, he's a god, right? He's splendidly irritating, but he's also, yes, he's quite arch. Um, yeah, I say I dislike him. I wouldn't want to. He's so calm him, as but... well. Yes, and it's, it's clearly it's clearly a deliberate performance, but yeah, I um, hmm. uh, I mean broadly, this film has that kind of um, it's a very sort of, sort of elegant cinematography, hasn't it? It's, it's sort of um, quite quite precisely judged. I mean, you know, there's sort of um, a, a kind of long take sort of aesthetic. I mean, sort of longish take, I suppose not. Um, uh, and kind of this sort of often slightly shallow focus widescreen with very well judged kind of colour as well, right? It's never it's never excessively pretty. I don't no. think, but it's always very attractive to look at. Yeah, um, the architecture in Ben's flat lends itself quite well to framing. Mm. Um, a bit like Ozu, I suppose, but not as kind of planometric it's a bit more a bit more natural somehow yeah um, i was thinking just watching that clip then um like a, a couple of nice examples which perhaps is something that the whole film doesn't perhaps even links to the things we've been we were talking about before to do with mystery and things it does some quite neat um there are some quite neat examples of the film having its cake and uh, and eating it. So the, the two specific things I was thinking of, the one is the use of music in in the clip we just watched. Angelo Badalamenti sort of Twin Peaks style, sort of ominous, you know, kind of uh, supposedly cool and relaxed 
but actually quite threatening jazz <laughs> fits very well with um jong Su's feeling of being in this alien territory being in the flat of this guy he doesn't like who's stolen his girlfriend and um but then as the scene goes on the, the music itself changes a bit and becomes a bit and becomes a bit more plausible as something which um is the kind of music that ben very much might have on in the background when he's he's making making dinner and then the the way it's placed and what is happening in the music at the particular Mm. moments also um fulfills the functions of you know non-diegetic music yeah it's repeated later of course when Jaime has I suppose the sequence of the film where she dances as um jazz music plays out of the Porsche right so Ben puts on a some music in his Porsche right and that's I mean that music at that point is the is the Miles Davis it's from the um you know uh what's it called elevator to the scaffold right that's from the soundtrack to the french movie isn't it um which i don't know if there's any specific reference there but yeah so i mean i mean in in, in a sense i'm making heavy weather of something which all sorts of films do you know that of, of, of course there's never ne- never diegetic music in a film in a fiction film sort of at random but it's just it's very finely judged that it you know that it yeah fulfilled those purposes and then my second example of sort of of sort of having cake and eating it was the um uh when jong su start starts starts talking about the great gatsby um and you know yes and the mysterious rich, rich young men and that there are too many gatsby's in korea he says and is the kind of thing which um could be in another screenwriter's hands might seem um a fairly ham-fisted insertion of some sort of, you know, cultural comment or sort of metaphor. Um, it's also very much what the character is thinking. So, yeah, um, again, it's, it's, that's, yeah. no other character could have said that line, right? No, we know Jong Su loves William Faulkner, and he's a, liter- a literary type, and so it makes sense. Exactly. It's often the case that the most interesting symbols are ones which are sort of embedded and can be experienced as such by the characters in the film so it's i don't know it seems at least to be sort of offering up for serious consideration that maybe there are too many gatsby's um in korea it's also a bit um self-congratulatory right how could i compete with the great gatsby Mm. i mean Mm. i i said that he's obviously jealous of ben actually it isn't obvious because he's quite good at concealing emotion um mm. and so to view that story in literary terms is is kind of yes. to again cast himself as the outsider in his own story you know? exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. going back to the the sequence in, in 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 ben's flat which i i keep turning to ben's flat but it is quite an intriguing place because it feels familiar from other kind of psychological thrillers where you have rich furnishings and you know wealth and then something under the surface um this for me is is the moment where things start to become a bit more mysterious right because it, it, it i mean there's, there's there's the mystery of the cat mm-hmm. but this is more of a it feels like more of a familiar mystery of why on earth are there all these kind yes. of items of jewelry yes. almost like uh yes. you know a headhunter might have a belt of heads right um why has he got all these bracelets and yes and, Yes. Yeah, so, uh, of course, the cat does turn up later. I think we didn't say that. Well, no, sorry, a cat turns up later. 
who responds to the name of Boyle. Yeah. Who seems to respond to the name and yes. And but who knows? Cats are the soon. ultimate. What can you tell about their insides from looking at their outsides, right? I mean, my cat doesn't respond to his name in the slightest, but the yeah, so child. that's there. Um, but and 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 he finds later in that drawer with the things he he finds um, he finds Jaime's watch, which was the watch that he won in in this tombola at the very beginning of the film, and gives to her. But you know, the other the other alternative is that he asks his girlfriends for an item of jewellery, and yeah. so it's still. It's it's quite creepy and can you know open up questions of varying levels of toxic masculinity if if this guy does have a trophy cabinet of things belonging to his previous girlfriends, but it's a long way from that to saying that he murdered them. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, thanks very much for listening to to this uh, podcast, Discursion Podcast. We very much enjoyed. I think Dominic. Yes, very much enjoyed, very much enjoyed talking about burning. I had a good time. Excellent. Um, it was my choice, so I feel guilty if you had a bad time. Uh, I'll, does that mean I'm choosing something next time? Well, you can if you like. Um, you can find us on Spotify, on Acast, our new home, and also iTunes. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at Discursion Film. <laughs>